0: Father, it's a good, good morning to be together. We're profoundly thankful for just these opportunities to be together around your Word and together with your people. There's no place we'd rather be on a Sunday morning or really any time. There are so many blessings that we receive from sitting under the sound of your Word and breaking it together and just being uh, spurred on to love and good deeds by our brothers and sisters. And just pray this work would be done mightily among us today. And pray today as we talk about and look into your word about the love of you, Christ, our Lord and Savior, that causes cause us to worship even more and to uh, love you even more. So come, Holy Spirit, and do these things by your might and by your power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Like I say, we are kind of uh, getting towards the last part of lesson number one, and didn't really think it'd be good to try to launch lesson number two. So we'll finish the handout. That there's some back there if you didn't bring yours from last week. And then next week we'll talk about the love of man towards Christ and God, and the love of man towards one another. I'll talk a little bit about that at the end today but we're on I think probably page four if your page is numbered if not it's we're talking about the love of <clears throat> the love of Christ. last week had a, a couple of takeaways from last week we talked about what do you think of when you think about God that the fact that, Love was not there initially for, for most, if not all of us. Like his sovereignty, his holiness. Those were things that came up, his goodness. I thought some more about that, and I I think that is partially because we uh we do really emphasize God's sovereignty, his Sovereignty in salvation, His sovereignty in sanctification, and in trials and all of life, and I think that's all good. But I wanted to just briefly look at a couple of scriptures which um, I think kind of value both what I think this church and we as individuals are good at pursuing, which is knowledge and and more. Uh, more knowledge of the Scriptures, more knowledge of God, which I think is great than we should. So if you were to turn to 2 Peter 3.18 for example, it's the very last exhortation of Peter where he says, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So grace here, I, you could grace is an element of love. So he's really exhorting them to grow in their love of Christ and in their knowledge of Christ. Those are parallel paths that we as believers should be on. So I, I think it's important that we do grow in knowledge and have great Bible knowledge. If I was to say, what should Flynn Hills Bible Church be known for? I think it should be known for the most accurate, biblically-based doctrine of any church in town. I think it should also be known as the most loving, grace-filled church in town. Why? Because that's what the Scriptures call us to. So this was, that was just kind of like a confirmation of something that I've suspected about myself and others for a long time, is that we really do value biblical knowledge and doctrine, and we should. Uh, the Scriptures say that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. So we are to, we're the we're the place where truth should be taught and and no one we also should be the most loving grace-filled people that there are some other scriptures <coughs> uh, Colossians one nine and ten if you want to turn there real quickly <coughs> i am mean, be really careful not to devalue either truth or doctrine or love. I want to raise both of them up really, really high here. And Paul talks about, in Colossians 1, verse 9, he talks about what he prays. He said, since the day we heard it, we did not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. That is an exhortation to to know God, to have more knowledge of Him. First Corinthians eight one through three, Corinthi- the Corinthian church was a, a church that was that boasted about how smart they were, and intelligent they were, and how knowledgeable they were. But it's Basically, to paraphrase it, he says knowledge will puff you up, but love will edify and build up. So I don't think he was, he was talking about knowledge of idols there. I don't think he was degrading knowledge. He was really lifting up the importance of love and its, its place. So as we come to the topic of love, Brock and I have been teaching on faith, hope, and love, those three great virtues. I just think it's important to look at the biblical balance that's there. Uh, 1 Timothy one five, very early, Paul's writing to the pastor and pastor Timothy, he talks about that the the end of the commandment is love from a pure heart, love from a pure heart is the end of the teaching, the preaching that he is supposed to to be doing. So I thought that was really powerful as well, is that love is the greatest of the virtues, and it won't pass away. Uh, so just, uh, just a reminder to me to, to really to be love-filled and to focus on, on teaching us to be a loving people. And I think this is a loving church. I really do. I think you guys do a, a great job of that. I think we actually are pretty balanced in our knowledge and love. If we're not, uh, tell us. We should exhort one another. But Anyway, that's just something I took away from, from last week that I want to talk about just a little bit. So, any thoughts on that? Okay. So we're ready for the love of Christ. Have some volunteers to read. He wants to read the first one, Galatians 2.20. Brock's got that.
1: Okay, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of
0: God, who loved me, who gave himself up for me. What would your takeaway be from that verse about the love of Christ? How's that expressed?
2: He gave himself up. He gave himself up for us. Yeah.
0: Hang on to that. Gave himself up. Who wants to read Ephesians five two? I can. Okay, Joe. And walk
3: in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant
0: offering and sacrifice to God. Take away from that verse would be. What did Christ do as a result of his love? Gave himself up. Gave himself up. First John three, (coughs) sixteen. Somebody want to read that.
2: Dan, you got that? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters.
0: Take away from that is what?
2: Jesus Christ again laid down his life. Laid
0: down his life, gave it up, laid it down. Revelation 1 5. Ruth?
1: <laughs> excuse me, Revelations five, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So firstborn of the dead and by his blood.
0: Yeah. By his blood means that he died for us, mm-hmm. gave himself for us. Well, does some husband want to read Ephesians 5.25? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe one of the wives would want to do that like as an exhortation. Hey, husbands.
4: Husbands, <laughs> love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He divided, divided.
0: So again, we see that phrase, gave Himself up for her. It's interesting that Paul in Galatians 2.20 stick with me here as we look at this he says he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me and in Ephesians 5.2 Christ loved us so it's Christ loved me Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. And in Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So Christ loved me, loves us, He loves the church. And in all three, He gave Himself up for us. There's kind of a trinity there of, of verses that speak of specifically for whom Christ died and He gave Himself up for. So what does it mean when it says, because we see this repeated over and over, that Christ in His love gave Himself up for me, us, and the church? What does that mean? Whatever it means, that's the definition of love.
3: It was a sacrifice for sin. He was the perfect sacrifice that he gave himself up mm-hmm. to
0: that. Good word, sacrifice.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Giving up. You're sacrificing something you're giving up. Well, if I lay my life aside, I lay your, what was it? I laid my life, he laid his life aside mm-hmm. that he may do that. Uh, for us to lay our life aside. Um, I'm taking what I like to do in my life, what I love to do in my life, and set it aside. I'm not so sure I'm really gonna hang on a cross, but I'm gonna take my life right now and set it aside and do, do what Christ wants me to yeah. do. Yeah. It, I don't specifically
3: see that it's dying, but laying it aside Sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah.
5: He is driven, driven for others, not
4: yeah. himself.
0: Yeah.
4: He is driven, motivated to himself for himself, but just for others, not for himself. <coughs> unlike. Mm-hmm. But his motivation is his drive was empty and his total others, not himself. Yeah. Also, there's a willingness to it. He's a good
3: shepherd, so if he lays it down on his own accord. He's not forced to do it, he doesn't have to answer to anyone, but he did it
0: nonetheless. Yeah, he gave himself up for it. I'm, I'm doing this willingly not a compulsion. I want to do it in fact. I
4: even think about how it it began even before that when he... I'm reading the Heaven book by Randy Alcorn and when you think about that he left Heaven Mm -hmm. to come here. And and the perfectness, the perfect love was in Heaven. You know, Mm -hmm. and he came here.
0: The greatest of mysteries to me, the Incarnation and Philippians 2 which we could look at is where you know, it talks about him giving up his uh, place in heaven and denying himself coming it's, it's remarkable
4: Stephen's it's remarkable. Lawson series on 1 John
6: um, there's a section that talks about God's love and he defines it as uh, lust
5: takes and love gives so I like that mm-hmm. contrast mm-hmm.
0: good look at the definition biblical word for to give up is to give into the hands of another that was interesting like you're giving yourself into the hands of another to give over into one's power or use like that's what we do when we lay down our life. Luke 9.23 is coming up shortly in, in the text. The days preaching through and taking up your cross daily, denying yourself and following Him. It's like giving yourself over to someone else's power or use. To deliver one, something to keep, use, or take care of or manage. So in this case, we give our life over to God to manage and to Keep and to use.
3: And what
0: the other aspect is, it's not something
3: we do regrettably. It's something we want to do. I mean, he wanted to do the will of the Father and to sacrifice. Yeah. Because it was a loving thing to do. So it's loving when we want to do this, we want to serve. We want to serve our wives, serve our church.
0: That's, and love is there is affection with love mm-hmm. it's not something compulsory or uh, begrudging or I have to mm-hmm. it does say that Christ went who, <clears throat> for the joy that was set before him endured the cross the cross wasn't pleasant but he did it with joy because of his great love I just find that Amazing to try to comprehend. Uh, what you were talking about Bridget Christ giving himself up to what he gave himself up to, what he had, and what he came to do. Other thoughts on, on that? To give, give oneself up to uh, Christ. There were some thoughts that John MacArthur had on this type of love that that talks about giving up. I thought I would just share. These are really, we've already talked about these, but kind of a summary. Love is an attitude of selflessness. So hate would be an attitude of self, like I love myself. Love is an attitude of selflessness. God's loving the world was not a matter simply of feeling. It resulted in His sending His only Son to redeem the world. Love is selfless giving. Always selfless and always giving. It is the very nature and substance of love to deny self and give to others. I just thought that was really simple and clear and, and profound. When the Spirit empowers our lives and Christ is obeyed as the Lord of our hearts, our sins and weaknesses are dealt with and we find ourselves wanting to serve others, wanting to sacrifice for them and serve them because Christ's loving nature has truly become our own. I think that is the essence of being born again and being Spirit-filled is Christ's loving nature has become our own now. And we love like He loves, selflessly, always giving, giving ourselves up. So, profound truth of Scripture over and over again. Christ gave Himself up for, for us. So moving ahead to the next verse the bottom of the page and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge you may be filled with the fullness of God. Let's turn to Ephesians 3. It kind of took that verse, needed some verses around it, so that's why I want you guys to turn there. So in Colossians 1, we saw Paul praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God and now he's telling the Ephesian church that they he wants them to know the love of Christ so looking at verses let's start with Start with verse 17. He's praying, starting at verse 14, but he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a prayer that Paul is praying for us, for the saints, that we would be filled with to know the love of Christ, so we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. So how do we do that? How do we know the love of Christ and how are we how do we comprehend with all the saints? The width, the length, and the depth and the height.
6: I don't think we ever will fully comprehend, but Galatians two twenty, that first verse we read, kind of explains a little bit. Um, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Um, so that part is kind of like how it's all consuming, like it completely changes our nature, and it it becomes us almost, you know. And we'll never fully understand the full height of width. He's praying that we will someday, and we will when we're, you know, glorified in heaven. But um, that kind of helps us understand in Galatians too.
0: So. so I would conclude that you're saying that when we to know the love of Christ, if we are crucified with Him, we will know uh, the love of yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that a fair summary of? Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we have to be literally crucified. <laughs> Maybe I'm
0: interpreting you too literally. Yeah. yeah, not literally on the cross, but
4: literally like yeah. offer my
0: body a living sacrifice. Yeah. Romans 12 1 and 2, type. Uh, Luke nine twenty three. dying daily. Other thoughts on that?
2: to. It's slow chipping away of the um, process of salvation, process of growing in Christ, dying to ourselves daily. Um, each moment by moment we have that choice to live for self or live for Christ. and I think that's the, uh, the process that we're talking about. That knowing the love of Christ isn't just all instant, <coughs> making that one giant sacrifice, but it's all those little things added up. Mm-hmm.
0: So I hear you talking basically you're saying practicing the crucified life again mm-hmm. in everything in the little things. Other thoughts on how we comprehend?
5: I'm piggybacking off what Brooke said, but verse 16 talks about how that you know we're strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that we can know these things and so <laughs> that we can live that life. You know, without that I you can be altruistic and you know, but you're never going to have that actual kind of agape, my life for yours, kind of love that demands a sacrifice. Mm-hmm.
2: I think I think the greater that we see ourselves as sinners, too, like the greater we comprehend the love a little. I think when I, I forget the Pharisees, whose home Jesus was in, but when the when the lady comes in, who's a great sinner and everybody knows it, and she's you know kissing his feet and washing his feet with her tears and and pouring and Christ kind of gives you know is it maybe it's sign I don't he's like you know Simon like here's a a little story for you you know two people owe the master you know different amounts of money and he forgives both of them and who loves them more and and the Pharisee is like well the one that was forgiven more and so I think when we see ourselves as sinners that we are like that increases that love for Christ too like when we understand
0: that's a great point And one of my points in the lesson for next week. I'm very glad you brought that up, Dan, because that is exactly right. You will comprehend the love of Christ more when you understand your sinfulness and the great sinfulness of our life. The Pharisee in your story, Dan, didn't understand the love of Christ because he didn't think he was much of a sinner. He was a pretty self-righteous guy. I think what Paul's saying there too, in
1: verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend so there's there's an element of of it if love is not something that's foundational in, in our character and in, in our thinking and in our mm-hmm. praying and our uh, our conception of God as we talked about last week then we're not we're not going to understand the love of God it will be a foreign thing to us and it will be like watch they don't really deserve to have me love them because it's not we're not rooted and grounded in love. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that's tied directly to a Huge part of that is knowing that the Lord Jesus loved me, the great sinner. And it's being grounded in that, and not not leaving that foundation. Mm-hmm.
0: This is all good. I think communion serves for this very purpose every week. There's a meditation upon Christ giving himself up that explodes our comprehension to the place I agree with Brooke we'll never know it fully for sure. But Paul tries to expand it out the height and the depth and the length and the breadth, so going in all directions to try to try to understand that. For the purpose that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I found that interesting. So the fullness of God is love. If you begin to comprehend the width and the length, height and depth, you'll know the love of Christ and you'll be filled with the fullness of God. It's a a prayer for all the saints. I had some, let me read a couple notes here from D.A. Carson. He said, it's not a prayer that we might love Christ more, although we should. Rather, Paul's praying we might better grasp Christ's immense love for us. And I, I thought that was good that it's trying to grasp Christ's immense love for us. And we love Him because He first loved us. So we, the more we understand and grasp His love for us, the more we will love Him. And it's been brought up here, comprehending Christ's love requires more, requires God's supernatural power because it's not naturally discerned and the, the work of the Spirit in doing that, I think is... Is important here, and we'll get to the Holy Spirit here in just a little bit. Uh, he also talks about knowing Christ's love is a never-ending process. We will never be able to get to the end of it. Uh, I like that. Um, he said. Paul writes that we may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's a deliberate paradox. We know something of His great love and it's definite knowledge, not just speculation. But in another sense, we can never know it completely because it's unfathomable. Throughout eternity, we will never come to the place of saying we know all that there is to know Christ's great love for us. So, thoughts from D.A. Carson on that. By the way, his good friend and brother, Tim Keller, died this week. Uh, D.A. Carson and Tim Keller were pretty instrumental in getting the Gospel Coalition together. And I found Tim Keller's, some of his final words quite encouraging. He was in the hospital and said he wanted to go home. He said, I want to see Jesus. I'm excited to go see Him. He said, send me home. Mm-hmm. I think he meant send me home. Both literally to His home here and His home there. Mm-hmm. And I um, just thought that was appropriate words from somebody who preached Christ, loved Christ, and has taught us about the love of Christ this week. Goes home and was ready to go meet the one who loved Him and gave Himself for Him.
6: John, there's something I just—I can't remember who said it. Just this week, I read it, and it said that Christ loved us first. Wasn't just a one-time thing. He keeps loving us first. Yeah. So it's that's so encouraging. That's why you know through the Holy Spirit we can love others. Yeah. yeah
0: and when you you say that, Kathy, about He keeps loving us, it reminds me of text about that that he is a high priest in heaven who is right now interceding on our behalf and you know he's interceding on behalf of sins that we don't know to confess we haven't seen he is completely loving us and covering us at all times that's hard to comprehend that's what a priest does and that's what he's doing it's not a one time thing he continues to do that sometimes you want to think about how Christ loves us instead of thinking what did Jesus do think what is Jesus doing right now Mm -hmm. pretty amazing so I'm going to I think we're going to have time's going fast we might have time here I want to turn to Colossians 1 again different part of Colossians 1 in order this the purpose of this section of scripture is to help us comprehend and understand who it is that's loving us. So, somebody somebody read, let's just piggyback on that Colossians section, verses 12, this is in chapter 1, verse 12 through...
5: Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent.
0: What Heather read, that's who loves you. I... (coughs) He's the image of the invisible God. That means He's a a carbon copy. words, what that means. He's the firstborn over all creation. That means He's the preeminent one, premier one. For by Him all things were created. Think about that. Jesus Christ loves you. He created all things that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And now we know that there are invisible things like molecules and electrons and protons. We get right down into, it's amazing, he created all those. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all nations are established by him. All kings are in power because of him. This was something, he all things were created through him and for him and you are a joint heir with Him of all those things. That's who died for you. And He's before all things. He was here before anything we see existed. He's eternal. And in Him all things consist. Some translations will say in Him all things are held together. So it's think about that. The, the sun came up today Everything is in its place and is held together by Jesus Christ. It's all in order. It's all held together by Him. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, and the dead. That in Him all things, He may have the preeminence. The one who's premier, who's preeminent, is the one who died for, for me, us, and the church. According to Paul. Yeah, I
3: think. I mean, we just see this unbelievable picture of who he is. He does not need us. He's complete without us. That that first verse, first, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his love. So he didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. <coughs>
0: He rescued right. us. We needed rescuing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Delivered us from the power of darkness. Conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, His love. Yeah. Yeah. We have for, through His blood forgiveness of sins. So, I just wanted to think a little bit about the One who gave Himself up for us. An imaginable power, an imaginable. creativity creator of all things unimaginable wisdom and knowledge to be able to put everything together who thought up this body we're in who thought up I don't know I've got 15 or 20 different things growing in my garden who thought that stuff up you know what is man you're mindful of him kind of thing Wow. Let's So, last page. Do one more here in Christ's love. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We'll get into that more next week. By this... All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Last week I made mention of the fact that John MacArthur says that all church splits and disunity comes from a lack of love. And it says it right here, people are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Amazing to me. Like that's a testimony to the world as to whether or not we are really true, authentic disciples of Christ is our love for one another. And people know that. People know that instinctively. Even unbelievers know that. <clears throat> so we are to love one another just as Jesus has loved you. Anybody have any other verses that teach us about the love of Christ? But you want to want to share because there there are others. They just hit hit some of the main ones.
2: Romans five eight says, "But God showed His love for us while we were still sinners, Christ." Back.
6: Yeah. <clears throat> By just mentioning the verse, it is a little bit taken out of a longer story. Um, but Second Samuel fourteen fourteen, um, and it's in the middle of uh, when the lady is talking to. David, about um, his son who was outcasted. And she said, uh, For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but He devises means so that His banished ones are not expelled from Him. It speaks to a lot of love.
0: That is an incredible verse. God will devise a way.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: He did. He has. And he is.
6: Accomplished the impossible
0: too, because he gathered up that water that was filled on the ground. You know. You know. I have to turn. We have to turn to one more here. Turn to Romans eight. I think Lenny may have brought this verse up last week, or this section of Scripture. There's only one chapter in the Bible that I, that I could have. It would be Romans 8. I love Romans 8 so much. I'm going to read verses 31-39. through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up. That's that gave Himself. That's the same word there. For us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? If you're being condemned, it's not Christ. It is Christ who justifies. There's no condemnation of those who are in Christ. Right? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. And here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, pretty much everything, a lot of things that can happen to us. None of those can. So the point being, Christ's love is so strong, nothing will separate you from it. Verse 37 Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We're more than overcomers. I'm persuaded neither death nor life angels or principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created any other created thing the only thing he excludes here is himself because everything else is created read that again, I'm persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of the most powerful strongest surest confident promise in scriptures are found here in Romans 8. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we talk about the love of Christ, nothing will separate you as a believer from it. Period. And there's an enemy who's working really hard to convince you otherwise. Don't let him. He's wrong. Christ is right. So we've got the Holy Spirit to go through yet, but I think we've that's the question. What observations do you draw from these verses about the love of Christ? I think we pretty much got that. It's giving himself up, it's loving us, it's laying down his life. So, the Holy Spirit and love. Romans 5 5 said that. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, it is another act of love that God has given us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. It's a gift given to us. That is where the love of God comes from is through the Holy Spirit, through Him only because the next verse but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control you could argue that everything that follows love is a part of love because we're going to see in a couple weeks uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient Okay, on patience, one of the fruits here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. His love is perfected in us. He has given us His Spirit. One last one on the Holy Spirit. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power this is the spirit he gave us but of power and love and self-control that's the spirit that God gave us so we're running out of time but I wanted to ask you the last question there is how does love of God and Christ inspire worship and impact you anybody want to just share thoughts on that as we wrap things up on the love of God and the love of Christ. We're not wrapping, we're not getting our arms around it, we're just wrapping up time-wise. So as you contemplate the love of God and the love of Christ. What is it? What is it doing in, in in you? What's your response?
4: Sometimes when we come to worship on Sunday morning, we worship because we know we're supposed to worship, right? Because that's what is necessary. Um, but calling to mind all these things that we talked about this morning—that He left heaven. Because of love for us and all that he gave for us, and then all that he asks of us um, as we love others. Remembering those things as we corporately worship, as we corporately sing to praise him, and also as we go into church looking for others to love, as we're going into the service looking, you know, not just for the easy ones to talk to, but looking to love well.
0: Like you are saying that because in Hebrews 10 it talks about don't forsake assembly together but gather together and spur one another on to love and good deeds and that is a response to His love for us.
3: Should be a motivation. I mean for me words are one thing but when someone demonstrates love so, when I think of how Christ demonstrated, the Father sent the Son, the Son willingly sacrificed, and then we have the Spirit to seal us so we don't go back. Uh, that's all a demonstration and action, showing His love for us. That should move us to do the same, mm-hmm. to humble ourselves and serve, and to love one another.
0: Yeah, I like the, the humble ourselves. Yeah, it's humbling. Mm hmm. Could be so self-centered and be other-centered. Could mm-hmm. loving ourselves, which is easy enough for all of us to do, and be like Christ and love others? We want our way yeah. too often. It's a motivation, and mm-hmm.
1: I think for me, it's it's kind of stunning, and it's, it's like surprising is not strong enough. Like I just like, oh, that's surprising. It's it, it like I don't really know how to describe it but it is like a, a kind of a striking shocking kind of a thing but I just have to sit in awe a little bit that because I know me and I know mm-hmm. the attitudes and the, the things that I think and the things that I do and the things that I say and for this God to love me like that like a I don't know why it's just like why would you do that (laughs) so it's just kind of a stunning um, worshipful awe I think um, when I'm thinking about that yeah
0: worshipful awe stunning God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners that's hard to grasp Christ died for us One of the things that I find myself... I felt—I sense being drawn to Him as a result of that love. And this, it's an attractive, a uh, welcoming grace um, coming from, from the throne itself. Yeah, you want to be in His presence. I want to be in His presence. I want to be close to Him. Yeah. All right, well, I hear other traffic, and it's about that time. So, next week, we will talk about the love of man to God. Here's a couple teaser questions What is the greatest commandment? What does it mean to love God? Who loves God the most? I think Dan's answer earlier. And we're going to talk about why or what are some of the things that can happen to us that are things we can begin to think that can cause our love to grow cold. Jesus said that in the latter days, the love of many would grow cold. I think it was mentioned last week about church at Ephesus that they lost their first love so we're going to talk about some of those kinds of things next week